All right, joining me now in the conversation is Andy Ostro. He's the director, producer, writer, host of the Backroom Podcast. He's also done an HBO documentary called Adrian. It's about actually his wife who was murdered by an undocumented immigrant. It's an amazing story. Andy, welcome. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, Andy, before we get to this incredible story of your wife and I, the fact that you interviewed her murderer and found her murder, there's just so many amazing parts to that. But first, tell us about the podcast. I mean, you've got amazing folks on there, Paul Rudd, Judd Apatow, Eric Swalwell, my old friend Ro Khanna. So it's a real interesting eclectic politics, entertainment, etc. What's the podcast about? Well, the podcast is basically politics and pop culture, but there's a common thread to all the interviews in that whether I'm interviewing someone who's a politician or I'm interviewing a musician like Phineas or an actor like Paul Rudd or a director like Judd Apatow, it always comes back to politics because I wanted to give these folks a platform that they may not be so welcome to have in other places. You know, We always hear about people who say to athletes, why don't you just shoot the ball and be quiet. We don't need to hear your opinions. Or why don't you, you know, get up there and tell jokes or sing songs and don't get political. And I, I believe that non-political people, people in the entertainment field, you know, they are Americans just like we are, and they have a right to uh, share the opinions, uh, some of which they have that are very strong about what's happening in our country. So the podcast was created partly with that in mind, so that I could have a broad range of guests. But really, talk about the things that are common and important to all of us. Yeah, that makes sense. There's so much right wing mythology out there that mainstream media, I think, accidentally buttresses. Like athletes and entertainers shouldn't talk about politics. Why not? It's like such a weird thing where, like, okay, if you're a plumber or a dentist, you're not allowed to talk about politics. Why? <laughs> okay, just shut up and drill. Shut up and drill. <laughs> no, we're all allowed to talk about politics. And why? Why don't they want uh, athletes and entertainers to talk about it? Because they're very popular and almost of all of them are on the left. So that's why the right wing comes up with some BS mythology about why those particular two groups should never be allowed to share their opinion, right? Um, right, so. but it's also like, you know, if you're like a young person and you're like, yeah, I love, you know, I'm a progressive and and I'm bouncing to Kid Rock, and then you find out, wait, what did he say? Like, he's he's like a Trumpster. I think it's like people don't want to know the politics of the people they adore, whether it's on screen or people, you know, musicians. I, I think so. There are some people in this world that can't handle their idols having opinions that may or may not be different because we're we're living in such a tribal environment right now. Where like you could love somebody for ten years as a musician, let's say, and then you find out that they're a Democrat, and all of a sudden you're going to hate them. So I think that's part of why people can't accept hearing opinions from the people they they kind of worship as you know celebrities. Yeah, I got a great solution to that. Um, don't worship them; just enjoy their craft. That's it. Okay. So, like Kelsey Grammer, turns, just like the rest of us. Yeah, Kelsey Grammer turns out to be a Republican, right? I'm like, don't tell me anything more. I love his work. I don't want to know more. Okay, let's move on. It's okay. Right. It's okay. Right. I'm not gonna be like, yeah. that's it. I will never watch Cheers again. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, look, I'm a liberal. I still, I still, I still listen to Kid Rock. You know, I mean, what yeah. am I gonna do? 
So, but that's unfortunate. Bar, you know? That's unfortunate for different reasons, <laughs> not having to do with politics. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's a whole other. Like, why yeah. do I listen to Kid Rock? Yeah. Period. That's that's a whole other conversation. Look, to be fair, uh, I I have listened to Insane Clown Posse and Barry Manilow. So hey, I live in a glass house, so I'm not throwing. Uh, Kid Rocks, if you will. Barry Manilow, you you live in worse than a glass house, Barry Manilow. <laughs> that <laughs> you don't even have a you have no walls, you have no ceiling like with Barry Manilow. <laughs> not even a house. It's not even a house. It's not even a house. Okay. So now I hate to do this, but we uh, we you know obviously going to turn to the to documentary too, and I, that's a tragic uh, situation. But I um, but it is an amazing amazing uh, story. So. Um, but it does connect to politics, right? So your wife w was killed in, in Greenwich Village. Uh, was it your daughter who was three years old at the time, or your son? Yes, not not quite, not quite three. My daughter. Yeah, yeah your daughter. And um, and so uh, and it turned out that it was an undocumented immigrant. Now a lot of people, you know, it, it might have been something else. It might have been, uh, it, you know, pick a thing out of a hat, like an Asian person. Oh God, that's it. Because of that trauma, now I'm not going to like that group, right? And so that would that unfortunately is somewhat of a natural reaction. But you didn't have that reaction, so mm -hmm. why not? Why 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 did you not feed into that? Well, then undocumented immigrants are the problem. Because it just it was common sense to me. I didn't see I didn't see him that way. He was just a depraved uh, killer who had. Uh, you know, uh, he didn't value human life. Uh, you know, if you, uh, for the folks out there who, who want to spend a minute or two, they can Google and find the uh, New York Times op-ed that I wrote in uh, uh, the end of October of 2016 uh, about this very subject. Why that I don't, I didn't believe that my wife's killer was an undocumented immigrant or a or an illegal alien, uh, as he was called by many in. Uh, but just uh, you know, uh, a guy who, who didn't value human life. So uh, I didn't want to, you know, summarily demonize an entire segment of our population. And at the time, there, you know, the intersection between my my tragedy and politics is an interesting one because, you know, Adrian died November first, two thousand six. Donald Trump was elected uh, November eighth, two thousand sixteen. So almost ten years to the day. These two very profound events in my life occurred, which kind of set me on a different course uh, uh, and redefined my life and what my life meant and uh, what I was going to do with that that life going forward. And so, uh, at that time, you'll remember that Donald Trump was carting out all these angel moms. You know, if if my if this person was not in the United States, my daughter would still be alive, et cetera, et cetera. And I understood the pain, of course, and I understood why people. Um, uh, felt a certain way, but I just I felt there was an important narrative, counter narrative to that, that needed uh, to be put out into the public, and it was the first time that I actually went public with my own story. I felt that if I could maybe help a few people, you know, get a different perspective than what Donald Trump was ramming down their throats in this very xenophobic way, uh, that would be very important. And so. Um, but these are two events that really did change my life uh, because uh, I didn't see anything more important at the time Adrian died than finding out the truth about, you know, her killer and, and what happened that day. 
And then also when Donald Trump was elected, it was just like, what's more important than ultimately defeating this guy? And and here we are seven years later, and we're still trying to defeat him. So that search for the truth, that search, search for justice, civility, giving voice to people who are frustrated and angry, which is also partly what the podcast is about. It's not just me venting. It's sort of an outgrowth of you know, my Twitter feed and my writing, uh, just uh, where uh, it's a place to vent and give voice to all these feelings that people have had for the last seven years with Trump and Trumpism. So for me, it was kind of this weird intersection of those two very profound events. Yeah, makes sense. So Andy, um, you interviewed him in jail. How was that? You know, uh, not to sound flip, but it was literally exactly what you would think. It was just very um, uh, uh, challenging personally. It was it was a complicated thing uh, to do uh, just from the process of setting it up to, you know, uh, doing it. I mean, I was I was I directed this film, but I also had to direct myself, you know, meeting with the animal who killed my wife so just it was challenging from a filmmaking standpoint just a, just emotionally hair raising but i was on a mission to find out what really happened that day and also to humanize her for him so that you know perhaps each night when he lays his head down to go to sleep rather than have this vision of her as just you know uh, a, a murder victim uh he sees a wife and a mother and a and a sister and an aunt and a human being and uh, so I literally, you know, without giving much away, like I, I brought her back to life for him and made and made him confront the heinous act that he did and and recognize the incredible person that he took away. Did he have a human reaction to that? You know, it was hard to really gauge what his reactions really were and and what was behind them. You know, when I left, uh, when I was leaving that day, the warden said to me, "So how'd it go?" And uh, I said, well, you know, he seemed to, you know, express some remorse and maybe feeling sorry. I don't know. And the the warden was like, yeah, sorry for myself. And there's a part of me that felt that that's really what I got that day, that he he didn't really grasp. He didn't really grasp what he did. He grasps what happened to him. Hmm. And but that was fine. I mean, I did get a story that was different than what he had ever told. So the, the the event itself made sense. He was a criminal. He was robbing apartments. That's really what you know he was doing. And so she didn't encounter just somebody randomly who kind of had a bad day. She got caught up in the middle of something that you know he had been doing, and uh, uh, it just went south from there. Yeah. Andy, one last uh, thing. So. Uh- you were the first to find her, and he tried to make it look like a suicide, but you knew something was off instantly. And then you you tracked him down in five days. How did you figure it out? How did how did it come together that that you guys caught this this guy? Well, it was really the the New York City Police Department that did it. Um, I you know I maintain my position that it was impossible for her to have killed herself. Like I knew that wasn't possible. But there was a detective, Jimmy Piccioni of Manhattan South Homicide, um, who simultaneously was investigating with uh, the first precinct in Manhattan. And he just, you know, a combination of things just kept on it. And it was good old, in the end, it was good old fashioned 
detective work. It was a, a sneaker print in her apartment on a bathtub and a toilet seat. And eventually, you know, tracking some construction dust and finding out where there was construction going on in the building and going to that apartment and f- opening a door and finding the same sneaker print. Wow. All right. Good to see that there was uh, good detective work going on in New York. Okay. Even though obviously in a horrible situation. So, uh, everybody check out uh, both things uh, the documentary Adrian on HBO Max. Uh, so that's this amazing story uh, that, that you guys are hearing about. By the way, um, Andy's also started uh, Adrian Shelley Foundation after, named obviously after his wife, and they've given 100 production grants to women filmmakers, including, by the way, Chloe Zhao, uh, who won uh, Best Director uh, for Oscar for uh, No Man Land, and they uh, did that back in 2012. So it's amazing. Uh, and then, of course, the podcast uh, host uh, of the Backroom podcast uh, right there, Backroom with Andy Ostrog. Yeah, and uh, this, week, this week we have Mary Trump, and that's a really fun interview. So I would uh, suggest people check that out. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. What happens when you organize an innocent event and 16 Proud Boys show up because the libs of TikTok uh, went after you? And we're going to find out because that's what happened to one of our guests right now. Uh, Lindsay Knapp is the owner of Sanford Yoga and Community Center. Uh, this, she's the person who was targeted. Amy Frank is the founder and president of Never Alone Advocacy, and, and she helped uh, in this situation. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for having us. Thank Abs- you. Absolutely. So, Lindsay, why don't you tell us the story? Uh, what event was it? How did Libs of TikTok find out about it? Let's do that, and then I'll ask you what happened after. Yeah, so I run an LGBTQ resource center out of my yoga center, and it's really was inspired by my son. I'm a parent of a trans youth, and we started the LGBTQ resource center as a way to kind of just um, help him find some community. And so in an effort to raise money for the LGBTQ resource center, we host a drag brunch every so often. We hosted um, another Another one in June, and that one went so well, we sold out the first show and we booked a second show. And so then we just did it again in October. The first, the show in June was was fine. We didn't have any Proud Boys there. We had a couple folks in the community that weren't too excited about it. Um, but it was a very peaceful event. A couple people showed up with some like religious literature, passed it out, stayed for about 15 minutes and left. Uh, but this time, it's this time was it, it was chaotic. Um, I guess the libs of TikTok posted that we were hosting this event. And then from there, um, the Proud Boys decided that they were going to show up. We received death threats. And it was it was it was chaotic to say the least. So how did they even find out about the event? I your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I guess they've got somebody that just like scrolls through the internet to find events like this. I mean, we're in a small town in Sanford, North Carolina, so I'm not sure what they're what they're doing or what their algorithm is but um, but for some reason they targeted our event okay this is actually super disturbing um, so 16 guys show up um, so what did they say what did they do 
Yeah, I mean, they, they came you know, in flak vests and masks. They're not showing their faces. They're screaming at everybody as they're trying to enter and exit the building. They're, they're calling them groomers and pedophiles. Um, if there were any kids walking up to the building, they got even more hostile. So it was like terrifying to the kids and to the patrons. They were trying to breach into the building. We had to call the police to have the police stand guard outside of the building for the duration of the event. We had private security that was also you know, running around to make sure they didn't breach security um, you know, from the multiple access points. Uh, at one point, somebody did buy a ticket and came in, but we were able to identify them before the show started and, and uh, kick them out. You know, Somebody who was trying to like infiltrate the event, if you will, in an effort to disrupt it and things like that. So it was, it's, yeah, it was, it, was, it was awful in that regard. So Amy, how do you enter this story then? So Miss um, Knapp is my colleague and friend, and she told me that she had gone to the Sanford Police Department to report these death threats and the concern of the event that she was hosting. And I told her, I said, I, I'm concerned for your safety, I'm concerned for your employee safety, and I'm concerned for the safety of the people attending the event. So I reached out to the FBI. Um, through the, the normal process and ask them why the TFO, the liaison for the police department hadn't been notified because this is a well-known violent domestic terrorism group. And I told the FBI on their 800 number, as well as I called two separate agents that I had contact information for. And I told them, I said, you know, Ms. Knapp and I are working some very, very horrific uh, human trafficking, drug trafficking, rapes and murders of some brown and black men and women in the military. And that we know that domestic terrorism is associated with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and, and folks in, that are involved in these kinds of circles, if you will. And that I don't think that they're targeting her by accident. So Amy, tell me more about that. Uh, so why do you think they're targeting uh, Lindsay? Um, I mean, look, these events have, have happened throughout the country a million times. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. all of a sudden we have these lunatics running around uh, and, and intimidating folks on things that were perfectly normal two years ago. But why do you think they might be targeting Lindsay? Well, there's a significant article in the Rolling Stones where one of Lindsay's clients was sexually assaulted by some special forces guys. And they are known to run drugs and do human trafficking. And then I had another associated case where a young man by the name of Enrique Martin, Ramon Martinez, excuse me, was beheaded and there was drugs involved and there was um, issues where that he was felt like he was being ethnically um, targeted. Um, then I had a CID agent that was targeted because she was uh, a lesbian and she was raped and retaliated against. Miss um, Knapp had another case where the MPs were caught by another MP that was a criminal informant for selling drugs out of their vehicle. And right now we're working a very horrific, what we believe to be a murder case out of Wiesbaden, Germany that's associated with these same military police officers. And what we know from the Secretary of Defense is a lot of these Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, 
are not only associated with the military, but oftentimes with law enforcement and the military police. And so I think it's, you know, it's an overarching issue that needs to be looked at severely by the FBI. So, Lindsay, are are you concerned that they targeted you because of the drag show and your son being trans, etc.? Or because of this other case, and Lindsay's attorney, by the way, and an army veteran, or this other case that you guys are working on, or both? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's hard to say, right? I mean, so I mean, what we know is that is that you know, just about a month ago, um, a North Carolina proud boy was the first proud boy to plead guilty to sedition um, in the January sixth uh, riot, and we know that. The one person that uh, breached the the venue um, at the drag brunch was an army captain who was also present on January 6th and who got kicked out of the military as a result of that. So, I mean, I would like to believe that it was a coincidence, you know, um, that maybe they just showed up to my drag brunch um, on a whim, but there's just a lot of other coincidences, if you will. And, um, and so it's, it's concerning for me, and it's also concerning for my LGBTQ community, right? Because um, now they're scared to come out and just live their life. And I, what I really want to impress upon them and our community is that they are loved and supported, and that we've gotten a lot of love notes, as I as I call them, or people that really just care about them and want them to be able to live their best life, um, and that and that the rhetoric that the Proud Boys are, are throwing at at, at our community, you know, calling them pedophiles and shoot your local pedophile and things like that. Just it just can't it just will not be tolerated, um, not by us and not by anybody in our community. And you know, hopefully we can get a lot of support from others who you know call out this behavior for exactly what it is. And it's ridiculous. Well, both Lindsay and Amy, I want to ask about that reaction because so hearing the story makes my blood boil and uh, and. Look, man, I, I, they're, they're, they're going around picking on people, bullying people uh, in in ways that are over the top and physical, and uh, it, it's so. How do you, how do you? I'm worried that this is this, this kind of vigilantism is kind of the beginning of fascism, right? Uh, and when good people say, "Well, I, I don't want trouble," and then they start to back away, that's when we lose the country, right? So are you thinking of doing an event again? How did the FBI respond? How's the community going to help? Help me understand that. Yeah, I mean, so what I like to say is uh, not only are we gonna do events, but we're gonna do them even harder now. Um, because we, when stuff like this happens, like you're exactly right. Like We have to stand up and stand strong and let the community know that this, this will not be tolerated and we will not be scared and we will continue to show up and show out and support our community in every way possible. And I also need my local law enforcement to understand that as well, that, that this cannot, this kind of behavior by the Proud Boys cannot be tolerated. If they are running for local offices or if they are among the police force, that that will not be tolerated. Um, so that's the message that I would love to convey to to everyone and to our community is that we are here and we are certainly not deterred. They, I mean, they picked the wrong one. If I'm being honest, you know, I take on the military for a living. Um, you know, like Amy said, I, you know, I take on Delta Force, Special Operations, whomever. If they're sweeping sexual assault under the rug, they know I'm coming for them. So, Proud Boys can just take a number at this point. 
All right, well, I love that attitude. And I mean, get a load of the irony of them pretending to care about human trafficking while you guys are actually working cases of human trafficking and, and, and fighting the bad guys and protecting people. So, Lindsay, what was the FBI and law enforcement reaction? I'm sorry, Amy, I wanted to ask that. Oh, thank you. Um, so when we spoke to some specific agents, um, then we got more attention. Um, and you know, I'm, they they took the complaint over their hotline. It was great. Um, but when I reached out to a specific agent, um, then I saw that there was a shift in momentum to protect my colleague. You know, and I also want to put this out there. You know, Lindsay and I work cases of rape, sexual abuse, domestic violence, child molestation, child abuse. And for the rhetoric to be that the LGBTQ plus community are pedophiles is the furthest from the truth. The, the FBI statistics will tell you that the number one offender of sexual assault, rape, child molestation are white males. So to say it's the LGBTQ community is throwing shade at the wrong community. We need good men in this space to stand up beside us for the 3% of people that are committing these acts of violent felony crimes against innocent to stand beside us. Because this is a human rights issue. This is not an LGBTQ plus issue. It's not a women's issue. This is a human issue. And we need all of the good people in the room to stand up beside us. Well, look, I love that you guys are fighting back and with everything you've got in your arsenal and we cannot let things like this stand. So um, so thank you. Um, uh, Lindsay Knapp, Amy Frank, uh, and uh, Amy is the founder and president of Never Alone Advocacy. Uh, and by the way, thank you also for fighting back uh, against the sexual predators uh, that you guys are finding and, and, and actual sexual predators. That are actual, uh, you know, threats to our kids, to to women, etc. And so, I mean, in, in every way, doing God's work. We appreciate it, and and thank you for telling the story. Thank, thank you. you.